Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Well, slap my butt and call me Nancy. It's Thursday night again. On with the show. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax. The smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking dedicated broadcast coming to you from the smoke-filled recording studio built here at my office just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. I am your host, Brian Levine, and in tonight's show, I'm going to go back and touch on uh, pipe parts and private label pipes instead of the sub-brands. Now we're going to talk about private label pipes and help you search out some uh, some really good, really well-made pipes at a steal of a price, especially since pipe shows are coming up again. Uh, my guest tonight, pipe maker, pipe collector, Bruce Weaver. Bruce will be with us, and we'll talk all about pipes. Uh, later on in the show, update on the JDRF fundraiser, the auctions, Everything that you guys are doing, it's going great, and I appreciate it very much. Uh, mailbag, rant slash rave. Got a rant slash rave coming up. And uh, also update you on some upcoming events and give you some times and places of some things that you don't want to miss. So all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh those of you that listen to the show on iTunes, you will notice that the iTunes feed or the iTunes store has kind of jumbled around or skipped an episode and added a double. Well, unfortunately, because podcasts, once it's podcasted and put up onto, uh, made available to iTunes, iTunes doesn't sell them. They don't make any money off of them. They provide them there as a service, so they really don't put much effort into them either. A little behind the scenes. Here's what Kevin does. We do the show. We record the show. Kevin posts an XML or some fancy tag name file. iTunes comes along and finds it. Puts up a link on their player. They don't actually download the show. All they do is they put up a link on their iTunes store or whatever. And it just points right back to the file that is being hosted by PipesMagazine.com. Same thing with all the other podcast servers out there. The only time you actually get the file is if you download it into your iTunes player. So if you want to make sure, if you want to make absolutely sure that you're getting every episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show, subscribe to the show and set it to automatically download. So that way the minute you plug into iTunes or type whatever you got, or if you're using Podkicker, the minute you uh, check for new shows, it'll download. Make sure that you're set up to download to the player. And that way, you'll get them all in order because it's working correctly for me. And maybe somewhere down the road, hey, maybe iTunes will uh, put it back together again and get it all straightened out. Um, anyway, and while you're on iTunes, if you haven't left us a rating or review, we really would appreciate that. That does help the show. So enough of that. Let's get the show going. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And here we go.
I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented perfect match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back. Hey, don't forget, just a few minutes, Bruce Weaver will be on the phone with me. But last week in Pipe Parts, I talked about sub-brands, the uh, second lines of many of the major manufacturers, and that those sub-brands do work all the way across every factory that's been in existence. Everybody's got one. The other thing that I touched on briefly was private labels, and I talked about my Disneyland pipes that were obviously made by Sheraton. I've got a Disney World pipe that was obviously made in the Parker factory. I've got a Disney World pipe that was made by Kamoys in the uh, Cadogan era in the 70s. Here's what happens with some of these pipes. A company, or in some cases, a individual retailer will go to the pipe company or the pipe manufacturer and say, here's what I want you to do. Instead of just a basket pipe or instead of a sub-brand, I want to buy two gross assorted of a pipe specifically made for me and we'll select the colors and the ranges and set the prices by the shapes. And But what I want you to do is I want you to stamp my name on it. And by stamping my name on it, then it becomes my brand or what we in the industry call a private label pipe. So that's what the Disney company did with those pipes that I have. I have a couple of other pipes in my collection, and it's going to be really hard to find these, but if you're searching around in the estate market, you'll see pipes like, and I'll talk about the one in particular that I know for a fact. There's a, There was a smoke shop called Lou's Tobacco Row or something like that in Wisconsin. And I have a pipe that is that's branded Lou's Selection Especial Algerian Briar. That's it. That's all it is. However, by being familiar with the shapes and some of the factories, I could almost swear to anybody that it is a Dunhill ODA billiard shape. It is a very large billiard with a medium length shank, and then it's got a basic vulcanite stem plopped on it the pipe was probably made in the 60s or late 60s into the 70s just by familiarity with the shapes i picked up the pipe i saw it i knew it had to be made in one of the better factories didn't have a country of origin on it but it did say lose selection of special and bought it cleaned it up and it is by far one of my favorite yard pipes. Now, 
is it absolutely pretty and gorgeous grain? No, it's smooth. It's got some fills in it. It's got some weird spots on, on washed out, you know, washed out grain or bald spots. But once I did a little modification of the stem to get the air hole opened up a little bit more, it smokes really well with some really good old wood. A uh, couple of the couple of the names I want you to look for, the ones that are going to be all over the place uh, that you'll find on the estate market are Ehrlich's and L.J. Peretti, two great Boston area retailers that sold a lot of pipes. They had a lot of contact with the pipe factories, and you can find some great shaped pipes. They didn't make them there. They just ordered them. You'll find some great grain in them, but it's good old wood, and they may be 25 to $35 on the estate market. Get one in really good, clean shape, $40. Bucks. Uh, Barkley Rex in New York City had a whole bunch of them. You'll even find some of Ewan Reese their store brands or their private label pipes still out there on the market. Now, to get yourself familiar with what goes on in or what shapes are from what manufacturers, there is pipedia.org where you can start to learn how each factory stamps the location that it's made in. Certain, you know, GBD has their own London, England style. The Kamoys, Cadogans have the round circle, and you can start to identify that, and that's a good way to figure out if that pipe is from that company. Uh, the other thing, Chris's Pipe Pages, or PipePages.com, uh, you can look on there. There's some old catalogs with shape codes, and it's real easy. If you're looking for a pipe that might be a particular style, just start pouring through those old catalogs that he's got on there. Uh, PipeFill.eu is another good source for finding old shape charts. Find that shape chart. If, it, if the pipe's got a shape code number on it and it matches that shape, 99% sure it came from that factory and you got yourself some good old wood at a reasonable price. And again, it may take a little stem modification because the stem, the draft hole through the stem might be really short or real small and a bent pipe may not take a pipe cleaner, but a little bit of work or sending it off to a repair guy to get it opened up shouldn't be too much of a problem. So there's the story on private label pipes. Uh, more on uh, that coming up a little bit later on as we get ready for pipe show season. But in just a few minutes, Bruce Weaver will be on the phone. We'll be back. This is Internet Radio. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including Calabash, Claws, Dragons, Horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We are back, and on the phone with me is 
Bruce Weaver, pipe maker, uh, pipe smoker, pipe collector for a while. Bruce, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor, and I'm humbled that you asked me. Well, and I wanted I wanted to get you on because it's kind of interesting to me. We've seen a rash of young pipe makers coming into the business lately and making pipes and making some great pipes. You're a relatively new pipe maker on the scene, but you're not exactly the youngest one out there. So tell us, when did you start smoking a pipe? Oh, gosh, it had to have been in the late 70s when I was on a business trip and, uh, I stopped at a tinderbox in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, right next to Rupp Arena, and I bought a uh, a kamoi and a uh, a leather bag to put the aromatic in, and that uh, that pipe pouch still smells like the aromatic all these years later. What is it that uh, that drew you to trying to smoke a pipe? I have no idea. I just walk by and I go, you know, I uh, I shouldn't smoke that occasional cigar or cigarette. I'll just, uh, let's see if I can uh, enjoy pipe smoking. And it became uh, an, a, somewhat of an obsession because I started collecting at that point also. And I have a dog in the background. And you have a dog with you almost everywhere you go, too. Exactly. It's uh, in the front seat of the car and in the shop and so on. She's a designer and uh, does a lot of the sanding for me. <laughs> now, when you, you started off with the Kamois and you started off with an aromatic, uh, did your collecting pipe smoking trend, did it move one way or the other? Yeah, right after that, I uh, went to a pipe shop here in Nashville. It was called Mr. Ed's, and uh, he was big on Dunhills and estate Dunhills, and at that time, he also did a lot of trading with the infamous Mr. Dunhill, Edsel James. So having met the two of them, they were much older than I was and uh, took advantage of me in trading and selling to me. But, uh, you know, I learned the ropes from uh, a co- couple of hardened traders. And luckily about that time was it was pre-eBay and so on, and the Internet was coming into vogue. And I was on CompuServe and Prodigy and all of the other <laughs> servers that I could get on. And would get onto boards and started buying Dunhills. And uh, amassed quite a few and just enjoyed the trading and cleaning of them and everything else. Is there a particular era or type of Dunhill pipe that you that you like better than others? Yeah, I honed in mostly on the early 60s because I felt that the briar during that period was just exemplary. Uh, and I mainly concentrated on their shell briars. I thought their their blasting was gorgeous, and uh, um, it, for some reason, the '60s, the early '60s, just all seemed to smoke well, even better than the uh, the patent dates. Was there a particular shape that you liked, or did you have a whole bunch of different shapes? Well, I'm boring. I do billiards. Well, that's great. Let's move on to something else. Uh, 
you're... I did a lot of a lot of bents and and so on. Never many bulldogs, but you know, mostly mostly billiards. All their different shapes of billiards. So. And then, what got you interested in making a pipe? So one day I'm looking at my pipe rack and I see all these pipes and I go, you know, this is fun. Uh, and uh, and with my mother being an artist, I thought, cheapers, I'd like to tap in and see whether or not I have any artistic ability. And it'd just be fun to see what it'd be like to make the pipe and the process. And in, uh, I think it was 76, I went to the Chicago Pipe Show and did the pipe carving class with Lee Von Erk. And uh, within the first 30 minutes, I kind of felt, whoa, this is for me. I like this. And it was for, it was from there that you decided that you were going to uh, be able to retire from your first career and start a second one? <laughs> That's wishful thinking. I just, you know, I've always been a hobbyist. And, and knowing that there was another hobby uh, was uh, in, enticing. And I just enjoyed it. You know, I always feel that if somebody doesn't have a hobby, they're awfully boring. In my in my case, I have too many. Uh, well, yeah. What was your primary career? Uh, I've worked in worked in the garment trade for close to forty years. Uh, I manufactured the mainstay of my business. Believe it or not, were the loops and slides that go on bib overalls. And virtually every pair of bib overalls that were domestically made had my loop and slide on it. And then we also manufactured the shank buttons for blue jeans and the rivets and burrs that go on the pockets and so on. That's interesting to me. Is that is is that a business that has changed because a lot of it's moved overseas now? Uh, the garment in, uh, the garment industry in the United States has been decimated. Yeah. And in a 10-year period, they lost 87% of domestic manufacturing in the garment trade. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty much dead. There's a handful of domestic manufacturers, but it's nothing like it used to be because that used to be the lifeblood of a lot of small towns throughout the southeast. As I live right near the world famous Cannon Mills, uh, exactly, which is now gone. Uh, but yeah. I also know that the, out of that has come a huge desire to find and collect, in particular, Levi's that are made in the USA. Oh yeah, it's been uh, vintage vintage clothing's always been a boon. I used to go around to. Uh, flea markets and so on and find vintage Lee jeans because they were one of my largest accounts and were building a museum. So that was always a lot of fun. So you're at the Chicago pipe show. You sign up for the pipe making seminar. You'd been to the show before. Um, what was the, what goes on in the pipe making seminar? Well, it's actually pretty basic. Um, you know, you're given a stumble back when Lee was doing it, and I don't know how Brian uh, Ruthenberg does it now, but uh, you were given a stumble to finish out. And at that time, most of the people would just sit there sanding and so on from, you know, 180 grit to 220 to 320 to 400 to get it smooth and pretty and no scratches and so on. 
But I was sitting next to Gunner, uh, Weber Prada, and the two of us go, this is, let's do something different. And I said, I'm going to do something different with mine. And so both of us took it upon ourselves to do something slightly creative. And Gunner's an artist, and uh, I'm just a redneck from the South, and uh, I didn't know how to do anything artistic, but I ended up doing a pretty good job. I liked it, and as soon as the class was over, I was the only one to fire up their pipe. (laughs) So you actually finished the pipe completely? Yeah, and I still have it. It's still a good smoker. Was that when the the seminar was two days long? It might have been three days. You know, I can't recall. And then you, and then from that, that was the inspiration to start making pipes and setting up yeah, your own so, workshop. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, I bought some briar from Tim West, and right after that, I went up to visit Tim West to see what the process was. And while I was there, I made a, uh, a Canadian, and uh, that was a whole lot of fun. And brought it back and and did the finish work, but. Uh, and then I made uh, started making pipes and and uh, just asking people as much as I could about the process and and mostly it, during that time it was you know learn on your own which is a great lesson but there's definitely a process to learn and and uh, meeting other people. Rad Davis was a lot of help for me at my first pipe show. I met him and. Columbus, and he gave me a lot of good tips. He was most kind, and we've been friends since then. How long did it really take for you to get the workshop set up and get a handle on making pipes and and get refined enough to where you were actually selling some? Uh, Gosh, it took me about three months. I... Fortunately, I'd been buying and selling Dunhills, and all the Dunhills I had had a zero-cost basis. So I started selling off Dunhills and bought a lathe and uh, all the other equipment I needed. And so at, at one point, the, uh, the whole shop, my, my, you know, it was a, a small shop, uh, but it was adequate to do things, uh, was kind of paid for. It was all gratis and I felt good about that because you know I collected these things and knew at some point I'd be selling them and that was a perfect time so I sold off a lot still have a lot but uh, sold off a scad and that's the way I paid for things and began making pipes and working really hard at it and I'd say the first year over a year I kept knowing that i got to make a billiard and I have to make it well because everybody's told me a billiard's the hardest thing to make. And uh, in reality, it takes over a year to really learn how to make a billiard. And over that year, how many how many attempts at a billiard did you take? <laughs> well, a lot, and they didn't have cheeks either. <laughs> and most of them had a big, nice chin, so... <laughs> but what you know one day it was a voila moment and uh, i go oh wow that's the way you develop it and 
you know, I make a lot of billiards because I just think it's a great classic shape. And my thought is, is that every shape has a billiard-esque, you know, look to it. I mean, everything emanates from it. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more about uh, pipe making with Bruce Weaver. So stay with us. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Yo, Barry. Tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there. Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. We are back talking to Bruce Weaver on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Bruce, what is it? What's the favorite part of making a pipe for you? Honestly, I think it's the. Uh, I think shaping. Shaping a pipe, and because uh, most of the stuff outside of. Uh, billiards that I do is all freehand and that's kind of exciting to watch the briar develop and having it dictate a shape to you so you you do the billiards the traditional way where you cut it you you, you cut the cut it on a lathe looking for that specific shape but then the freehands you go into the block with an idea and let it drive you yeah and you know I used to sketch out a, a shape on a pipe. I do that about half the time, but, you know, mostly I just grab a block and study it and, uh, and then just go to the wheel and start shaping what I think the, uh, the briar is going to dictate to me and, uh, wet it as I go along and, and just try to follow the grain as best I can. And on the, uh, on the contrary, what's your least far, what's your least favorite part of making a pipe? Um, the stamping, (laughs) because I'm always afraid I'll slip and have to start over on one part. Uh, and, uh, I don't mind stem work. It's just the, the looking at a raw piece of ebonite going, got to make a stem. The process isn't that long to do. It's just the thought of starting it and finishing it because there's so many different steps you have to go through to get a nice, well-developed stem. Yeah, what is what is the time uh, the time to make the to cut the briar part and then the time to cut the stem part? You mean in, in minutes or hours, days? Or, <laughs> well, I mean. Shaping a pipe really doesn't take that long. Uh, it depends on what it is, but I mean, getting the basic shape uh, prior to drilling 
can take uh, 30, 45 minutes, something like that. Uh, you know, it's all the fine work after that. You just get the basic shape uh, going and, and make sure everything's symmetrical so you can draw your lines and then do your drilling. Uh, stem work involves, uh, I use Delrin tenon, so I have to face it off, put in the Delrin tenon, and then start uh, doing some of the, the curve shaping and so on on the lathe, and then take it off, and the rest is hand work. And there's a lot of hand time there, just smoothing and shaping and smoothing and getting it cut correctly and filing and filing. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the one thing that I've been working on over the past couple of years is just developing the uh, the button to be uh, pleasant to the smoker. And I think that the button and uh, that half inch from the button down inside of the airway is just eminently important. I spend a lot of time um, in the button area and then in the the V groove, making it's uh, making sure it's uh, won't whistle, has an easy draw, and uh, as smooth as glass in there. Do you prefer to sandblast or make a, a smooth pipe? Well, it's not often that somebody comes up to my table or asks for a commission and goes, Hey, Bruce, would you make me a smooth? <laughs> I'm pretty much known for my sandblast, which I, it, most people wouldn't enjoy it because it, it's extremely time-consuming. But when I'm in the blast cabinet, I just uh, I can get lost in thought. And I love watching the rings develop. And it's just enthralling to me because oftentimes I think, oh, wow, look at that. They had uh, three years of of dry season and then one rainy season. Because, I mean, that's just the way, you know, if you've ever cut down a tree and look at the ring growth, you can almost tell what the seasons have been like as far as rainfall goes. And it's much the same way with briar. You get to see history of all come out of the pipe right there. Yeah, well, it, and then just to watch the way it undulates, and, and uh, I just think it's fascinating wood. I mean, it's beautiful wood being sandblasted, and it's beautiful wood when it's smooth. I mean, it's just a unique wood. It's just gorgeous. And I've never asked anybody this, but you do multiple uh, multiple colors in your sandblasts. What dictates whether or not the the pipe's going to be a natural or a tan or a brown or a black? Well, on the on a natural, it's much like doing a straight grain. Uh, it, it's awfully difficult to pull off a natural because one little pit just stands out like a sore thumb. It, it's just, it, you can't do it. I mean, it's rare that I get a natural. And then I think of it as the same thing as trying to pull off a perfect strike grain. Really tough. So the darker, and then the, the darker the pipe, the, the more issues might be in the in the mm, sandblast. No, no. To the contrary, I mean, sometimes I just look at the pipe and the shape, and that mostly dictates the colors for me. 
when I go a lighter color into the browns or light browns or tans and so on, it's the uh, the grain structure, and I can naturally get a uh, more or less a contrast stain because some of the uh, stain takes deeper and darker, and those hard areas doesn't you know take the stain, so it, you can really see the grain a lot better. Can you physically tell the difference in the weight of the wood once you're done sandblasting it? Oh, heavens, yes. And and the thing is about my sandblasting, uh, it's 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 kind of unique because I think it it smokes a lot cooler because in reality I'm taking off a lot more surface area. If you it, it'd be kind of like if you wadded up a piece of paper and then stretched it out. You know, that little wad of paper doesn't look like it's very big, but once you stretch it out, it's the same thing as the, 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 the amount that I take off is, is like hills and valleys in minute detail in millimeters or, you know, even smaller. So there's a lot of surface area. And you've trimmed off all that weight from it. Yeah, well, a considerable amount of weight, but, uh, but I never, I never touch the rings. Uh, you know, I just take the soft meat off in between. <laughs> just, just slightly trimming every little, every little millimeter. Yeah, it's really rather tedious. But I mean, some people are OCD and could do that. I'm one of those. <laughs> uh, you want to share with us the biggest mistake you've made in? making pipes yeah i had ethan brant here uh, about a year ago or a year and a half ago and he wanted me to make him a lavat and i had never done this uh since my second pipe i ever made and uh i'm drilling the air hole and i didn't feel it go into the chamber at all and i measure and i go dang this is weird well i drilled all the way through the other side and I'm sitting there, and I go, wow, that was probably the most embarrassing moment ever, having a customer here watching you make a pipe, and you completely do an amateurish move. So I turned mighty red, and uh, we had a good laugh about it. And Of course, he had to write about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I'd like to thank him for writing about it. <laughs> Um, on the other side of that, I found some other writing about a pipe of yours, and it's a 2008 sandblasted brandy made by American pipe maker Bruce Weaver and my friend Steve Fallon, the pipe stud, termed it as being his only magic pipe, where every one of them, every bowl through it smokes clean, dry, sweet, perfect. And he has that pipe every morning for breakfast. So 2,100 bowls through it, according to his blog. Yeah, I mean, that's really, uh, I mean, he's been most kind. And a couple of years ago at the uh, Kansas City Pipe Show, he had it with him. And I said, Steve, you've got to chew that stem up. I really want to make a new stem. He goes, no, I, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> and I said, 
well, here's the deal. I promise. The minute I get home, I'll make a stem and I'll overnight it to you. No, no, no. I, 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 that's my morning pipe. And I go, no, you can do without it for one day. So anyway, I made him a new stem and got it to him post-haste. But he's been most kind, and I've been you know, really fortunate to have uh, a lot of pipes out there where people just go, it's a magic pipe. And it's really, uh, boy, it's a humbling thing, you know, when somebody tells you that. Because it makes you feel good that you did something right. Yeah, he wakes up every morning and has his uh, magic Bruce Weaver pipe. <laughs> so if well, I'm that's, a... kind of, that's kind of him, partner. <laughs> yeah, as he would say, being from Texas. <laughs> exactly. Although he doesn't wear a cowboy hat, so I'm not so sure. Um, if there's a new pipe maker starting out, what advice would you give them? Well, I have a lot of new pipe makers come through my shop, um, and I, I always tell them to make billiards. Make a billiard and make a billiard until you can make it well. I, that, I, I, I might sound old school, uh, but it just I'm a firm believer that somebody needs to make a billiard before they start going off and making a blowfish. Now, you've also, you, you talk about your, your workshop is open and you have a whole bunch of young pipe makers coming through, but at the same time, when you were starting out, you worked with a whole bunch of pipe makers, and early on, you can I can see their influence in you. How long did it take for you to really develop your own style, your own, your own voice in pipe making? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I did the, the class with Lee Von Erk, and then I went up uh, and did a little study with Tim West. And then after that, I went up a couple of times to Nagani, Michigan, and uh, with Lee Von Erk and uh, learned a few things and uh, was on my own for quite some time. And then all of a sudden, uh, Todd Johnson moved back in town and I, uh, worked with Todd for, for quite a while. And Todd's quite a, uh, a talented teacher, uh, in, in the process of pipe making. And I learned a heck of a lot about the process and, and symmetry and so on. But, uh, I think kind of when I developed me into a pipe was just I think it came hand in hand with the sandblasting because that I was so fortunate in a uh, in a medium that just has two holes to find something that was a little bit different and unique uh, the way I attacked the briar and my sandblasting and and I think that just kind of developed the personality of the, into the pipe because I felt that you know, I had something a little bit different than everybody else had done previous. And I thought, wow, how has this happened after, you know, something being made for over 100 years and I find something that's that's different? And I just felt like really blessed in that regard. And then it, I guess that's when uh, my personality developed in the pipes because I felt a lot more confident. I'm looking at, on your website, which the website is baweaverpipes.com. Uh, there's an acorn that's a relatively new pipe, and that one jumped out at me as 
having just a little bit of I can see little elements of of a whole bunch of different things going on in there, but it looks like it's a truly different take on a compact kind of an acorn shape. Yeah, I, I think we all find a little bit different symmetry in things. Our eyes look at everything slightly different uh, because I was talking to one guy who's an artist, and uh, he was fortunate enough to work in the Disney studio, and the guy said, you know, draw Mickey Mouse, and he thought he nailed it. But he was off here and there, and uh, the uh, Imagineer, I think is what they're called, uh, had him do it. Uh, what are they called? They're called Imagineers. If you're in yeah. Imagineering, if it's Walt Disney Animation, then they're called Animators. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he had to do it quite a few times until he, you know, he got all of the symmetry right for Mickey Mouse, who looks kind of easy to draw, but in reality, it. So I mean, it's the same thing with pipes. I mean, it's such a small medium that if you're off a thousand, it 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 just glares at you. And I've always been amazed at when I'm shaping a pipe and something doesn't look right, and then I just skim off just a hair. It makes all the difference in the world. It's it's just amazing to me. And then the worst part is, is each pipe smoker's got their own perspective of what a pipe should look like. Well, exactly. I, I mean, one time at a pipe show, one guy said to me, you know, we're competitors. And I go, I'm, I'm not trying to be brash or anything, but then I don't have a single competitor in this whole room because somebody's going to love my pipes or they're going to hate them. They're going to love yours or hate them. I mean, it's just... Everybody has a different taste. And that's why we celebrate everybody that smokes a pipe. Exactly. And with that, we'll wrap it up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever you want to answer. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give her a shot. What's your favorite pipe? Uh, Dunhill 196. What's your favorite tobacco? A McCraney's Red Ribbon. What's your favorite drink? Lemonade. You're the first one to ever say Jeepers on the show and pick lemonade. <laughs> Country boy. I know. Uh, when it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? A book. And finally, any uh, favorite pipe smoking memory in particular? The, the, mainly it's the camaraderie of Chicago. I love going to Chicago and and being able to uh, not sit at my table very much and walk around and talk to friends. I'm bad about sitting at my table. <laughs> and you will be at the uh, Chicago Pipe Show this year? Uh, yes, I will be. And you must be in mad Chicago preparation mode. The thing is, is that I don't go into the mad Chicago preparation mode. I do what I can do. Um, I, I don't stay up late making pipes. I just do what I can do because I, I enjoy it too much to rush it. Now, I mean, here I am retired. I thought after I retired, I'd be able to make a whole lot of pipes, but I'm still stuck on three a week. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's working five days, sometimes six days a week. I just, I can't. Uh, I mean, I have made four pipes in a week, 
but uh, yeah, I'm stuck at about three pipes a week. I wish I could up my uh, productivity, but I can't. So I can't call you on a Thursday and come by on Sunday and pick up a seven-day set, huh? No, you can pick up a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, thank you very much for your time. The website is baweaverpipes.com, and I'll see you in Chicago. Well, Brian, I'm, I'm honored that you uh, called on me. I appreciate it. And we'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> This is Internet Radio. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's CupOJoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to CupOJoes.com, and there it is. CupOJoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. You know, one thing i got to say about Bruce, uh, I love somebody that can explain, can describe making a billiard and compare it to Mickey Mouse for me, because that made it all perfectly clear. I understand both. Made it perfectly clear. So check out Bruce's website. Check out all the uh, retailers that carry Bruce's pipes. All right, JDRF auction time update. And for those of you that uh, missed last week's show or the week before, JDRF is the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. They raise money and look in support of a cure for type 1 diabetes, also known as juvenile diabetes. Juvenile diabetes is a chronic condition of the autoimmune system where the internal autoimmune attacks the pancreas and stops the pancreas from creating insulin. Insulin is in in our bloodstream and shot out into our bloodstream to help us process and digest sugars or carbohydrates. Uh, people with type 1 diabetes have to take shots of insulin anywhere between 3 to 5 or 6 or 7 times a day. They have to test their blood sugar regularly during the day. Uh, those of you that are fathers out there, imagine my day about oh, uh, 7 years ago and we were sitting in the hospital and they told me that before you can take your daughter home, we need to show you how to give her a shot and how to prick her finger and test her blood sugar. Um, if you want a moment in your life, yeah, look at your nine-year-old daughter laying in a hospital bed, and now you know you've got to give her an insulin shot with a syringe. And <laughs> Never was a big fan of needles in the first place. But anyway, all the money that we are raising through this is all going directly 100% to the JDRF in uh, honor of my daughter's walk team. My daughter's doing fine. Yeah, she's involved in marching band and Girl Scouts, and she doesn't let the diabetes slow her down one bit, but some days are a little worse than others. Uh, last week, we ended auctions on the Peterson pipe donated by Peter Field, and that pipe sold for $122.50. That is incredible. And we ended the auction on the... 
Big Ben 9mm filter pipe donated by uh, me here at Brigham USA. And we raised about 80 bucks from that one. All that money is already showing up on my daughter's walk team page. In addition to that, we've received uh, five or six individual cash donations, which you can do simply by following the link on the show page directly to her. Any amount helps. We appreciate them all. All those folks have sent in the cash. Hey, that's absolutely wonderful. Uh, Currently on Pipe Stud, Steve Fallon's eBay store. Ending this Saturday, the first of two Michael Johnson Cosmic Folklore Studios or CosmicFolklore.com. The first one of the handmade sterling silver tampers. It's absolutely gorgeous. I held it in my hands and it is really cool when you take that tamper and hold it up to the light and it shows bright red. Uh, Also, the most generous pipe I've ever been donated, the S-Bang from Rick Newcomb. That'll end on Saturday. Coming up this weekend, starting the last three auctions. Another tamper from Michael Johnson of Cosmic Folklore Studios. A Savinelli spring pipe donated by Laudisi in SmokingPipes.com. That's brand new in the original box. And radio show listener Ed Green was kind enough and I mean kind enough to send in an absolutely beautiful, unsmoked, brand-new-in-the-box, handmade Michael Novak pipe. you got to look at it to believe it. It is expertly shaped. It is a large handful of a pipe. That'll be going up on Pipe Stud, on the Pipe Stud eBay store over the weekend. And I believe there's one more tin of tobacco on uh, PipeStud.com that uh, Rick Newcomb donated. It's a 10, 12-year-old can of uh, Frog Martin, I believe. But all that goes to finding a cure for type 1 diabetes, and all of us really do appreciate it. You, Daddy, has the email. We are going to skip right over music for tonight's show because i got a bunch of mailbag and event things coming up that I want to get through, so I want to give it some time. And this goes back a couple months ago. Got a letter from listener Chris Freud, and here's how it goes. And I, I apologize to him. I lost the letter, and it's not because he's a Giants fan and he hates the Dodgers, but I, he lost. I lost the letter, and I want to get it through here. So here it is. Uh, greetings from very snowy Colorado, and this was a couple months ago, but it could be last week too. You have one listener in Eagle Vale, Colorado, between the Vale and Beaver Creek ski resorts. Yeah, tough life. I don't want to hear it. I just love the show and have finally caught up with all the previous shows. Great stuff. Uh, by the way, I was the guy who wished you a happy birthday on Facebook, even though you didn't like Latakia and liked the Dodgers. Um, still like the Dodgers. Not sure who's on them this year, but uh, my passions include pipe smoking and Giants baseball. Ergo, despite all your fine work on the show, I'm a little hacked by your baseball allegiance. Sorry. Uh, as you might imagine, you know, I'm a little hacked by my baseball allegiance some years too, so... Uh, As you might imagine, I get along well with Marty Pulvers. I worked for him at the old Sherlock's Haven during the mid-90s when I was in college. I loved your show with him because I remember the atmosphere of the the shop and all the rhythms of working there. It also helped my pipe collection. Uh, Marty sounded exactly like Marty on that show, perhaps even a bit tame by his standards. (laughs) I tried to loosen him up. 
Um, I still keep in touch early and often with Marty because of his estate pipe site. Um, other cool shows included Jeremy Rush. Uh, I love Barlings, the convoluted history, and the hunts I go through. Jason Bard was fascinating, and he's working on my pop's old Dunhill, which was much loved and much smoked with Dunhill 15,300 and needs a serious restoring. He did a magnificent job. Pop's billiard is beautiful. Russellette was great fun because I love Larry's Blend. It's one of many tins that are cellared in my pipe closet, and it's got loads of Latakia in it, and I won't go near it personally. But um, I think he, he goes on to say, I think you strike a nice balance between the novice and the obsessive-compulsive pipe listener when you do pipe parts. I know most of it, but it's important to do again. Not all of us grew up having Marty and or my father teaching us about pipes. No, you're right. Uh, you did teach me about cleaning up the little niche between the stem and the shank. Uh, we're talking about inside the mortise hole. I went on a rampage in my collection after that tip. On the other hand, I heard you talk about packing a pipe in thirds and have no clue. I just pack a pipe and we're off. Pop taught me this is how it should feel. And it's instinctive at this point. Uh, I sympathize with your reaction to criticism of the show. I have a lot of experience in direct feedback as the sports editor for the Vale Daily News here. This is my 17th year at the paper, and for all the destination glamour of Vale, it's a small town. Having grown up in San Francisco, go Giants, okay? Uh, the concept of every glorious high school sporting event being fully documented was a bit foreign. You want to talk about a bit foreign, try moving to the southeast where Friday night football in high school is almost as important as going to church on Sunday. Um, I was and am still surprised by the perception of that I have the power to make teams lose. <laughs> if I'm that powerful, I'm not a 25 handicap in golf, and I have more Barlings and Dunhills in my collection. And let me tell you, Chris, if you're that powerful, you need to go to Vegas. And just use that power on the roulette wheel. That will help you. Um, there's also that I like certain schools of which we have four here better. You know, a team going to the playoffs gets more coverage than a football team that went over whatever. Uh, he goes on to say, as a salesman and more delightful radio personality, you're obviously sensitive to, see, to feedback. You've got to be. On the other side of the coin, trust me, some people are just bleeps. Uh, if the listener has legitimate idea or criticism, use it. If a guy is going off half-cocked criticizing the show without even listening to it, he or she, nice to have women on the show, by the way, isn't worth comment. Don't let those people in the forums get you down. You're doing great stuff. Chris, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh... He uh, went on to say, again, the only problem with getting caught up on your show is that I've enjoyed having several evenings of shows back-to-back -back with a good pipe in front of my fireplace. Now what am I going to do? Can you start doing the show twice a week? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, congratulations and thanks for all you do. That ties in perfectly to a thread that's on the forums that Riff Raff started that says, okay, now what? I've spent the last couple of months getting caught up on all the Pipes Magazine radio show episodes during my morning and evening commutes. 
Aside from having a nice bowl full on each trip, there really isn't much to look forward to. That is, except on Friday mornings if I don't listen live. But I do have to say that this is a fascinating show. The information gleaned from this show, now sadly only weekly, is priceless. To hear from all the industry titans is awesome. I also love the fact that you have guests that are pipe smokers but are extremely interesting for other reasons. Brian and Kevin, you guys have done an outstanding job. Each show is better than the next. And I, too, joined the NASPC as a result of the show The Pipe Collector is a great newsletter. Kevin just bleeped in there to also make sure that I mention that we had one other... uh, Oh, it was Chris... It was Chris again that commented after the NASPC show that he decided to sign up and is looking forward to the pipe collector. Chris, don't read the pipe collector while you're driving. Uh, further on in that thread, uh, River, I'm going to butcher the last, the rest of the, the screen, the rest of the forum name, but uh, says that I like the radio show too. I listen to it through the iTunes app. Um, Jmil208, I'm waiting for the movie. That's what he said. I'm waiting for the movie. I think if we're going to do a movie, I want Andy Garcia to play me. I think Andy Garcia would be a, a perfect perfect me. Um, Cosmic Folklore wrote, Once I've listened to them all the right way, I'll go back and listen to them backwards. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, that might really confuse you even further. Um, one of the benefits of having sponsors of this show and having it hosted by PipesMagazine.com, is that we're able to keep all the episodes up there and keep them all there for you to listen to, for you to go back and listen to. So if you've forgotten something or you want to rehear something, the, all those all episodes are still up on the website. That's a lot of hosting space, but thankfully we've got some great sponsors that are uh, keeping that space available for us. And all 80 shows now are sitting there live on the interweb. Uh, going forward into last week's show, John Seiler wrote, Hi Brian, secondary sub-brand pipes are a good way for new pipe smokers to start without investing a lot of money. The book Who Made That Pipe is a good source to check out some of the older sub-brands. Um... Got a lot of positive comments uh, from Peterson smokers and now again from Missouri Meersham smokers on having a show focused on Peterson and then having Phil Morgan from uh, Missouri Meersham on. There's a lot of you out there that feel like you should be hiding because you don't smoke the fanciest pipes. Well, you know what? If you smoke a pipe and you enjoy it, keep going. Um, Russ, let's a little excited about me, uh, breaking the news of the new Missouri Meerschaum pipe tobaccos coming up, uh, coming up at the Chicago show. I'm going to get the scoop on some other news that's going to be announced on, uh, the Thursday on the, the show Thursday night before the, uh, before the Chicago pipe show. So the pipes magazine radio show is the place to look for, for all your news, um, Scottso wrote, uh, Brian, can you remind me which episodes you talked about show etiquette? I plan to attend the Chicago Pipe Show and have never been to any pipe show, so I was hoping to re-listen and see what pointers I might pick up before attending. As always, enjoy your show and look forward to meeting many more pipe folks through your hard work. 
Uh, Scott, those shows are episodes 27 and episode 30. Episode 27 and episode 30, the pipe parts kind of feature pipe show etiquette. Um, talking about Chicago Pipe Show, there's a thread on the forums going around about doing a meetup. I got the perfect time and place for you to do a meetup. Friday night in the smoking tent at the uh, Chicago Pipe Show, 9 p.m., I believe, will be the pipesmagazine.com contributors forum hosted or moderated. Or, uh, let's call it hosted because I don't think Kevin could moderate us very well, but hosted by Kevin Godby. I will be there. I believe uh, Russ will be there. Steve Morissette. Uh, Doc Gar, the four of us are all set to be there, plus who knows, there may be a few others. So that's a chance to come and meet some of the folks that contribute to PipesMagazine.com, work on all those great articles, put on a little silly radio show, and let me tell you, hanging out with us... We are a classy bunch. ...is guaranteed to be uh, fun and full of uh, smoke and uh, jokes going on all over the place. Uh, So that's Friday night in the smoking tent... 9 p.m. in Chicago, Friday night, May 3rd, 2nd, can't can't see my calendar from here. Um, also, if you don't get a chance to get to the smoking tent, please make sure and stop by my table on Saturday and Sunday. Say hello, shake a hand, introduce yourself, love to meet you all. Uh, if you're going to be in Raleigh, April 12th, I'll be at the TAP show, the Triangle Area Pipe Smokers. TAP's April 12th. There's a show coming up May 10th in Lomar, Germany, and then the end of June, I'll be in uh, Kansas City for the Kansas City Pipe Show. If you have any questions on any of the events, just go to the Pipe Events page on pipesmagazine.com. While you're there, check out the article, new article up, written by Steve Morissette, a new Fred Brown article, new Pipe Babe. There's always something new going up there, so make sure and stop by PipesMagazine.com and check out all the articles. Stop by my table and say hi to me. One last request. If any of you happen to know of a World War II veteran that smokes a pipe or smoked a pipe, I would love to have them as a guest on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Anybody, World War II veteran, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. I realize these will be uh, older folks, but I still want to have somebody on that was was a pipe smoker or is currently a pipe smoker and involved in uh, the World War II effort. All right, rant time coming up next. Signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. (laughs) Just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. 
Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sightlift Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. Cowboy. Cowboy. How do you do a rant and rave all at the same time? Well, Time Magazine came out with Albert Einstein, the enduring legacy of Albert Einstein. It's $13.99 for a large, thick magazine-style format, available on a news rack near you right now. And here's how you do a rant and a rave. Well, first of all, you rant because we all know that Einstein was photographed with his pipe a lot of times. Now, I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure they took a couple of those photographs and kind of doctored them up a little bit to uh, crop out the pipe or maybe even uh, crop or Photoshop out the smoke. But I flipped through the pages. It's over 60 pages, I believe, and only three pictures of him holding a pipe. None of him smoking a pipe, three of them holding a pipe. And in the three where he's holding a pipe, the pipe is either out of focus and low in the frame or the picture is very small and it's kind of a distant shot. But once again, Time Magazine did a great job showing and talking about Einstein, but we all know how important the pipe was to him. Did they mention it in there? I don't know. I didn't read it because guess what? I'm too cheap to buy the magazine, but you know what? Maybe I should go back, buy it, and sit down and read it. Might be a good little reading uh, entertainment to do while I'm on an airplane coming up next month. So there you go. A rant because Time Magazine didn't show a whole bunch of pipe smoking or a whole bunch of Einstein with a pipe, but a rave that they did at least show him in three pictures out of probably 40 pictures of him holding a pipe. Not smoking it, but holding on to the pipe. So there you go. That's the show for the week. Hope you enjoyed it. Hey, make sure and get yourself out to a pipe show. If you're in a local area with a pipe club, gather up with that pipe club. Don't forget to please leave us feedback and ratings and reviews on iTunes. We do appreciate that. Follow me on Facebook and uh, like the Pipes Magazine radio show on uh, Facebook as well. It's got its own page. Any questions, comments, post them on the forums. And again, if you know a World War II veteran, please get a hold of me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Bruce for joining us. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just 
Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Dang, smoking lamp went out already. Guess it's time to get a new wick for it. <laughs>